Amen. Well, I'm going to jump into the message today. We are in a series. It's called Going for the Gold. This is our third installment uh, on that. And um, today I want to just begin uh, the message by repeating an announcement that I made at the end of last Sunday's message. And it's one that I made to our staff at the end of July. Uh, it's one that we um, presented to the core partners, uh, it's, um, our, our members at a luncheon at, um, in the beginning of, of August, actually. And uh, now I'm repeating for those of you who may not have heard it yet. Uh, and I'll just keep repeating for a bit, but uh, I'm retiring as lead pastor. Uh, I think that's something that most of you know, uh, but if you don't, uh, I, I want you to get that announcement today. Uh, but my hope is that each of you will be present next Sunday, uh, because that's when I want to use most of the, of the time uh, in the message, I, I want to preach a, a, a brief message, but I want to use most of that time uh, to explain the reasons that I believe that this is the proper thing and the right time. And uh, so I hope that you're here for that. And uh, today, just to respond to a few of the more prominent questions raised so far, uh, first, let me just answer, uh, Pastor Chris will become the new lead pastor of Hedgesville Church, and uh, I'll go into that in more detail uh, next week. Uh, second, uh, no, we don't plan to move away, um, at least right away. And uh, so we intend to attend here, and uh, our hope and our desire is to support Pastor Chris in the same way that he supported us. Uh, the new pastor installation service by our district superintendent will be conducted on the last Sunday of uh, November, and um, Pastor Chris then will be officially uh, become the uh, pastor of Hedgesville Church. And uh, so again, I believe it's very important, if possible, that you be here next Sunday uh, so we can discuss the significant uh, transition in leadership uh, for our church. And so make sure you're here, invite others to be here next Sunday. Uh, so this is actually the last month that I'm uh, scheduled to preach, uh, although I will be preaching next uh, month a service when Pastor Chris is on a missions trip. But uh, what... Uh, of all the subjects, all the topics, all the things that uh, I would wish that I had opportunity to preach, and, and now my time is, is running down, uh, what would I say to a congregation of folks that I really love with all of my heart? What, what would I say to them uh, in one of the last few messages? And I believe it would be uh, that I want you to go for the gold, that I want you to faithfully persevere in the race that God has set before you and run in such a way that you will win the prize and finish well. And so our text for the day, I believe, summarizes that thought. And it's in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, where he says, And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. I'm going to try to summarize an exhaustive subject in just a few brief moments uh, to set the context for our message today. And um, so I hope that you'll listen quickly. I hope I can talk fast enough that you can hear me clearly and uh, not, um, not miss what we've got to say because this is a very important subject 
And uh, it's a subject that unfortunately has been uh, often neglected in the pulpits of our churches today, uh, even though it's a major teaching of Scripture. And I'm referring to the second coming of Christ, and more especially uh, the rapture. Now, the early church was vitally interested in the return of Christ. The apostles taught the, the possibility that the Lord could return at any moment in their lives. The next generation in the church kept alive this blessed hope uh, as something that was imminent. But it wasn't until the third century that there was any significant exception to this rule. And uh, for many centuries afterward, this truth was rejected or set aside. And so only actually during the last 120 years or so has this truth been restored to the church, uh, even though there's still uh, a great deal of indifference and uh, opposition to the truth. Uh, one of the major reasons, one of the major oppositions was uh, early on the setting of dates. And, in the, and I think that's satanically inspired, by the way. Uh, early in the history of the church, uh, men would set dates for the coming of Christ. Those dates would come and they would go. And so it's almost like uh, for, I, I can remember 1988, 88 reasons why Christ is coming in 1988. And everybody was on board with that. But guess what? He doesn't go by our timetable. And so he didn't come in 1988, but there were lots of pastors and preachers that, that thought, okay, I'm not going to preach on that anymore. And, and the reason they made themselves look like idiots, because they preached that. And so that's one reason through the years that the, the subject has been dropped. But I believe one of the major oppositions comes from an unregenerate heart. Only a true believer who is genuinely following Christ can repeat the prayer at the end of the book of Revelation, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The Apostle Peter warns about unbelievers and scoffers in his epistle, and he said, first of all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires, their unregenerate hearts. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. And then Peter affirms the truth of Christ's return with this reminder. With the Lord, a day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. So the return of Christ is a very prominent teaching in the scriptures in the New Testament. In fact, uh, it's mentioned more than 300 times in the New Testament. In fact, the coming of Christ receives more attention than any other doctrine in scriptures. And so it's referred to more actually than faith. Or it's more said about the coming of Christ than it is about the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses from all sin. Even though faith and the blood of Christ are absolutely essential, 
the second coming of Christ receives more attention, even more than the doctrine of the love of God. And so uh, it's an extremely important truth about which we can definitely not afford to be ignorant. And so here's what Jesus himself has to say about his coming. He declared that he would return personally. He himself. Do not let your hearts be troubled. In John 14, trust in God, trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will send Moses. Is that what it says? No, it says, I will come. I will come and, and, uh, and take you to be with me that where I am, you also may be. Jesus taught that he personally would come. Jesus also taught that his coming would be unexpected. But about that day or hour, no one knows. So listen, you can't set dates. No one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill. One will be taken and the other left. So it's an unexpected life just going on as normal. And then Jesus declared, he says, my coming will be sudden. Just as lightning that comes from the east is visible even to the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That's Christ's own words regarding his coming. The New Testament writers clearly affirm uh, the teachings of Jesus concerning his return. And so there's lots of scriptures that, that refer to the second coming of Christ. And so we need to focus on those. Now in my teen years, which is probably you know, a couple of decades or so ago, or maybe three or four. <laughs> All right, five. All right, five. Um, there, there was more preaching on the subject of Christ's sudden, unexpected return for the church than, than at any other time that I can remember. In fact, I remember sitting in camp meeting services and uh, participating in enthusiastic singing about his return. Just like a thief in the nighttime, our Savior will return. There'll be no warning just when that time will be. I'm not going to sing it, I'm just saying it. So get you ready to meet him and don't be left behind or heaven's glory you'll never see. I want to be ready when he comes. I want to hear him say, well done. I'll keep my lamp trimmed and burning while waiting his return. I want to be ready when Jesus comes. And so we sang that. And, and it wasn't a song we sang in church every week. It was just camp meeting once in a while. And I remember that song. I think, I hope I got it right, Mom. Uh, correct me after the services are all over. <laughs> but it was something that was on our heart. And I remember one day, Dad and I were working on the furnace in our church's basement when we pastored in North Carolina. 
And he asked me to go get a tool that he needed. And so when I went back with the tool, dad was nowhere to be seen. And I couldn't imagine how he could have gotten out of the basement without me noticing. So immediately this horrible dread settled over my heart. And I thought, okay, Christ has come and I wasn't ready. Dad went and I'm still here. You can't imagine the relief that flooded my heart when, when he walked in the basement. He had been up in the church momentarily and uh, came back. But you can also bet that I took a moment to um, silently pray and confirm that I was ready in case the Lord would come while we were down there. But the Lord says this is what will happen when he returns. Life proceeding as normal and suddenly, unexpectedly, Christ will come. He comes for his own. And so because of the emphasis of the preaching of the church on the second coming of Christ, I expected that it might happen at any time. And I don't believe that's a bad thing at all. And speaking of Christ's coming, we need to notice that he's already come the first time. Uh, As predicted in so many places in the Old Testament prophecies, uh, God came the first time uh, into this world through the Incarnation. Uh, That is, uh, his son Jesus, born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Uh, Today, however, we're talking about his return, his second coming. And it it happens actually in two phases. Uh, First, he will come into the air, and there are things that will happen and take place in the air. And then secondly, he will later come to the earth. And uh, there are some things that will take place then on the earth. And so his coming into the air, it's clearly spoken of in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 17, where we're told that Christ will descend from heaven and that the believers will be caught up to meet him in the air. And so Paul says, for the Lord himself... Again, it's a personal return, right? He's coming personally. The Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so the Thessalonian church believed that Christ was coming at any time in their uh, lifetime. And so the problem was that Brother Bob died. And so now they're wondering, well, what about him? Is he going to participate in the rapture or not? And uh, the Lord says, well, the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. So the first aspect of his coming has to do with his followers, his believers in him. The church will be raptured or snatched out. Uh, at the the coming of Jesus Christ into the air and we'll go to be with him forever. The second phase is his coming to the earth. Now the prophet Zechariah uh, declares, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You will flee by my mountain valley, for it will extend to Azel. You will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Then the Lord my God will come, and all the holy ones with him. In Acts chapter 1, 
Verse 11, following Christ's ascension, uh, the men in white declare that Christ will return. So they said this same Jesus personally who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Now he visibly left from the Mount of Olives and he will return visibly to the Mount of Olives. And uh, that's what, what, when uh, the mountain was split as Zechariah prophesied. So in the first aspect of his coming in which he comes into the air, his own are caught up to him, to be with him. And, and we'll, 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 we're going to be with him. And then actually, the scripture says we'll receive our rewards at that time as well. And, uh, and so we'll go to be with him. The second aspect of his coming, his own return with him. And so obviously, I want to be included in those who are caught up to meet him in the air. And the wonderful prospect of coming back with him when he comes to the earth and uh, sets up his millennial kingdom. And I want you to be included as well. And so that's the reason for my choice of text today. Now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The key to being confident and unashamed is found in that one word, continue. It's a word translated abide in some versions. It's one of John's favorite words. And in that short epistle, uh, it occurs 24 times. The word is in the present imperative tense, which uh, means to be constantly abiding in him. Uh, and actually, it is a command. And so he commands us to abide as part of our lifestyle and uh, to have this continuing intimate fellowship with him. It's something that actually is only possible as we learn to depend upon the Spirit of God. You see, God never commands us to do anything that he does not also enable us to accomplish it. So if he commands us to continue in intimate fellowship with him, he enables us to do that. You say, but I can't. There's so many distractions, so many things. I can't in my power. But he never said we could. But he can in his power. And he always said he would. Amen? And so because, because of our union with Christ, every believer abides in him positionally. But then because John issues this command to us to continue in him is a call to, to make our daily experience match our position. And so in other words, to continue or to abide in Jesus is our responsibility. And it requires us to make choices that facilitates our abiding or continuing in him. And so we daily decide that I'm going to walk and continue closely with Christ. Well, how do we continue in him? There's a whole number of things, but I'm just going to list, list them. Uh, first is obedience. And I don't need to say a whole lot more about that. Obedience. You cannot continue in him if you don't obey what he says. Uh, trusting him for the power to live this Christian life. Intimate fellowship with Christ. Now that requires that we be open and honest and transparent before God. 
And you might as well because he knows you in and out. He knows you thoroughly. He knows us. And so if we're going to have this intimate fellowship with him, then we must maintain a clean conscience. And a clean conscience demands that we confess our sins quickly and repent sincerely. It also means that we need to guard and watch over our heart with all diligence, since out of it the springs of life flow, according to Proverbs. And the list could go on and on of the things that are required. Uh, but, But the question is, what in your life, personally, does it mean for you to abide or to continue? Because in your particular case, it might mean something different than in someone else's. For instance... You might need to consider uh, taking another job because your current job maybe expects compromises of your character and your witness and presents temptations continually before you. Now, I'm I'm not saying that if you work with a bunch of unbelievers that you ought to find another job. That's not what I'm saying. Uh, but, th- but there are cases where there are, you, you can go into a particular job and you, and you go home and you just say, I'm, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm just, just going to work. It just got me filthy dirty. Just all the people I work around. Now we are called to be lo- the light in the darkness and we're called to be salt. And so you, the only way you can do that is to, is to work around unbelievers. But if they're having more influence on you and, and destroying your walk with God, then you need to find another job. Even for the lesser paying job. It might be that you need to break off a relationship that's continually pulling you away from the love of Christ. It could be a whole host of things, but ask the Spirit to search your heart and give Him permission to do a thorough house cleaning if need be in order that your relationship with Christ will flourish. So he says, continue in him so that, that words, those words so that is a term of purpose. And it gives the reason for John's exhortation to continue in Jesus. The purpose is the, that the, at the second coming of Christ, when he comes back, that we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame. Continue in him so that we'll have unashamed boldness. A follower of Jesus ought to live with the expectation and anticipation that Christ could come at this very moment. Now, most likely, when you walked in the church door this morning, you never thought about Christ coming uh, before the service got started. You probably never thought of that. People would love to know exactly when the Lord is coming. The disciples inquired of Jesus as to when the day of the Lord would come. And Jesus said, only the Father knows that, the day or the hour. But it's that uncertainty of the return of Christ, the exact moment that he's coming to snatch his church out to meet him, that serves as the motivation to continue to abide in him. So that we'll experience unashamed boldness when he comes. Now, if we knew that Jesus wasn't coming for another 15 years, then we wouldn't need to worry as much. And we'd probably be a little more careless in our living. But if we knew that he might come today, 
What if he came right at this moment? He'd catch me preaching his word. Catch you in the house of God. Those are good things, right? But what if he were to come tomorrow? You're following that annoying slowpoke down the road. (laughs) And you're inclined to tell him what you think of him and his driving with words and gestures. Now, my gestures are innocent. They're like, come on, you know. Yours might be more pointed. (laughs) You know. (laughs) Yeah. I'm going to stop there. (laughs) Or what if he came just as your coworker uh, ticked you off? And you gave him or her a little bit more of your mind than you could afford to give. And a tone and a choice of inappropriate words. What if Jesus came during one of those moments in your life? We might be ashamed at his appearing. Now the early New Testament believers expected the Lord to come again in their lifetime. They believed in the imminent hope of Christ's return. When Christ returns, inevitably, it'll cause one of two reactions. For one, there is confidence. The fearless trust with which the faithful believer meets God. That's either with the rapture, that that's the case, or even at death, even sudden death. That's the positive reaction. The negative reaction is to be ashamed before him or to shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Now, some commentators interpret uh, shame at his coming as related to rewards. So those who are ashamed will not receive a full reward. Other commentators see it as a reference to the exposure of those who were never genuine believers to start with. They professed Christ but they were not born again, uh, which is experienced or expressed rather by their failure to live holy lives. Now, I'm not saying that um, holy lives is perfection. It's just not one of us here today is perfect. So it doesn't refer necessarily to perfection, but direction. And so we are moving in that direction to be like Christ. And so I want you to understand that. And if you go out of here saying, I'm not perfect, so I must not be saved. That's not what I'm saying. But we are pursuing Christ. We're following after him. But the truth is, it's difficult to be 100% sure uh, which interpretation is correct. But the proper and the important thing is that we live in such a way that we'll not be ashamed either way at his coming. To be ashamed before him at his coming is a very strong expression that John's making. Kind of reminds us of a scene back in the Garden of Eden uh, when the guilty couple, Adam and Eve, hear the voice of the Lord God walking in the cool of the garden, and they shrink in shame at his coming, um, and they hid themselves because they suddenly realized they were naked. Listen, were Christ to come at this moment, how would you feel today? Sitting right where you are and standing right here, how would you feel? What would be your first impulse, your instinct? Would it be to run to meet him or anxiously meet him? Or 
Would you shrink back from him in shame? Because you're not really sure that you're ready to meet him. Think about it for a minute. And think about it like this. Why is Jesus coming? When he comes in the rapture, why is he coming? He's coming to take us to be with himself. That where he is, we may be also. So thinking about why he's coming, can you tolerate the idea that we might be ashamed before him when he comes, knowing that he's coming to take us to be with him? Could we meet his look of love at us without embarrassment, without shame? Let's continue to abide in him in such a way that when he does appear, we may not be ashamed before him. You know, all believers are accepted. All believers are accepted. But there's a difference between being accepted and acceptable. Your poor Ryan, our firstborn, uh, he was a boy. (laughs) An all boy uh, at that. But Ryan had to live at first with the fact that his mom didn't have any prissy little girls to dress up in pretty frilly dresses. And so he had to endure um, the ordeal of being dressed up in white shorts, white shoes, and a shirt that made him look like he was wearing a sailor's outfit. And so after being sent outside to play in the yard, he came back in a while later looking like he just wallowed around with a bunch of pigs. Now, while he was accepted because he was her son, he soon found out that it was not acceptable. (laughs) You can't play in the mud in that outfit, Ryan. Well, eventually I convinced her that both she and Ryan would get along better if she dressed him like a real boy. (laughs) Let him play in in the dirt like he ought to, like boys were meant to play. Now, I don't know that this is really a good illustration because I'm not saying that as a believer to go around and wallow in the dirt of sin. So don't carry this analogy too far. Uh, beyond the point of just illustrating the difference between accepted and acceptable, okay? But a Christian who has not walked in fellowship with Christ in obedience and love might be accepted, but he will lose his rewards, which will make him ashamed when Christ comes to take him to be with him. And that's not acceptable. Continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. The word translated coming is a Greek word, parousia. It literally means to be present or to have come. In the secular Greek, the word parousia is used of the arrival of an owner who alone can deal with a situation. The master is coming back. It describes a personal presence. The Lord himself is coming to take us to be with him forever. Jesus spoke often about his coming, giving warnings. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. And then the next chapter, Matthew 25. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. 
The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, he said, because you do not know the day or the hour. The truth of the Lord's return is so important. But so much depends upon our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so have you trusted him as your personal savior? Having confessed your sins to him, repented of them, believe that he loves you, that he died for you, that he gave his life's blood so that you can be set free from sin and his condemnation? Is your heart and your faith and your life centered in the Lord Jesus Christ? And if so, then you can look forward to the return of Christ with confidence and with joy knowing all that it really entails and what it really means, the incredible blessings that that accompany that. But if, on the other hand, you're fearful of the Lord's imminent return and not sure if you're ready for it to happen or not, then you need to commit your life to Him so that you'll not be ashamed at His coming. See, the desire of the Lord Jesus and the heart of the Father is that you not perish or be lost, but that you come to repentance. Peter declares that's the reason that it appears that, that to us that he is delaying his return so long. And so his heart is get ready, repent, come to him in faith. He's waiting for you, literally. If a band wants to come up, go ahead and, and make the way here. My, my greatest wish for this church and for all that are in any way connected to the church is that each one, each without exception, will continue in Christ and faithfully finish the race, the course that God's marked out for you to run so that you will win the prize the reward, the crown at the end. Go for the gold. Amen. Let's stand together, would you please?